Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 105 of the Cons WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers, and I'm joined as ever by DeZone. What do you do at DeZone again these days, man? Oh, for crying Five uh, concussions. Look, the fact <laughs> I remembered you voting for DeZone is impressive on its own. Uh, that's very true. Why don't you finish introducing me, and then I'll, uh, I'll walk you through okay. about that. Uh, I'm joined by my colleague who does something for DeZone. It's Liam Happ, everyone. Liam, it's been <laughs> it's been like a month since we've done one of these, and this yeah. is all this is all my fault, right? I was... First of all, I was on holiday. Then, then after I came back from a holiday, I got ill. Now we're recording something. Uh, and I mean, we haven't even got to your laptop breaking, which normally happens around this time of year. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm so glad that uh, the laptop has been holding up. Could do with a change next year, probably. I mostly use my work laptop now. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as getting these days, it's, it's starting to turn into a, a monthly endeavour. I remember when it was weekly. We were happy Don't with fortnightly. Yeah, and yeah. now we're getting into like the wooden age, aren't we? Wooden age of podcasts. <laughs> well, you know, if we if we get another lockdown, then it's bad news for most people. Good news for, for our listeners, because we, we will ramp that content up. But, yeah, uh... I do not want that because I'm my, my wife has just left for Stockholm because uh, her company just opened an office in Sweden. So she's there for the week. I'll be joining her with the kid going to her grandparents over the weekend. So I'll be checking out Stockholm for the first time. Finally nice. breaking this duck of not being on a plane since before lockdown. Um, Sorry, I thought I thought you were about to say that your wife had left you. And I was I was like, well, that, what's that got to do with the podcast? Maybe uh, she maybe she just had enough of uh, you recording the the podcast. Can you look after the kid? No, I'm recording the podcast. Yeah, we're gonna make millions off this venture. Honest, yeah. eventually, yeah. one day. One day. One day. But um, no, I, no matter how many hints I leave, and no matter how much groundwork I try and put in to make her want to leave me she, she just, always she just yeah it's a shame <laughs> try as I might she will not divorce me apparently this is a legit life sentence um uh, yeah well I'm, I'm also planning on going to Edinburgh early next year for the Six Nations game the Calcutta Cup um there is talk of obviously you and I have got our eyes on certain German wrestling promotions and Bundesliga football and yeah. the, the 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 coup de gras is I I I've got my crosshairs set on a return to Philadelphia, which uh, some some not only will some people remember I, I've constantly talked about how much I love going to Philly on this podcast, but a, a fair pocket of our listeners are from Philadelphia and New Jersey. Indeed. So yes. hello everyone, if you if you're still putting up with us after all this time. And yeah, I would love to get out there for it will be like late May, and I'd, if if it goes to plan, I'll be out there on my birthday, 
which would be a Very cool nice. thing I've never done before. Bit of Memorial Day baseball, bit of, bit of birthday celebrations at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, because we'll All have the, cla- kid the classic us. stuff. Well, it'll be the first time I take my daughter out there and she's really excited yeah. about it, so I really want to make it happen. That is why I don't want to hear any talk of a lockdown. But to get back to your original question, because we're, we're mastering the art of the, uh, the detour on this at the minute. But to get back to your original question, I am a content manager at Design. Specifically, yeah. specifically my jurisdiction at the minute is to serve as the managing editor of the Design News website, which is actually the only real part of the enterprise that is not on the Zone app where you would go to stream the big fights that they have. Ah, there is also a Zone News website which will have like some good features, the news. It will it will give you all the information of, of like how to watch Zone shows and things like that, what time they start and stuff. So we, we, yeah, we're building up a bit of a presence, doing some great uh, color features. There's more and more football and MMA starting to show up on there. So, so it's building up nicely, and that is what I do. Then that is and, what and I of do. course, um, you were also posting content when uh, I saw you. Now, what was it last? Was it last weekend? Yeah, it was all couple. Yeah, last weekend it was the um, we we were both in London at the Old Street Sports Bar and Grill for Hooked on Wrestling presenting AW Full Gear, which was a tremendous show. Oh, and um, yeah, you were it? just p- posting the results up on the. Uh, his own site as they happen yeah we did and, a live uh, blog it uh because yeah. of the the great numbers we got doing some all out coverage we thought we'd follow up with the next pay-per-view and obviously for the diehard wrestling fan it was a great night uh some really high-end matches and the 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 cherry on the cake in the main event being the payoff to a really good long-term angle oh yeah and, two, and Hangman what, two years long yeah that, it's probably, absolutely yeah. incredible but uh, in in terms of us actually getting SEO traffic and from Google searches, uh, I think it's fair to say that the the, the big rush came from the return of CM Punk. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, but what we we uh, we jumped on, we gave it a go. Yeah. And yeah, I mean we we try and do whenever whenever there's justification, and for the most part, it can just especially for a site like ours, it can just be. Um, WrestleMania coverage, SummerSlam yeah. coverage, yeah. Uh, something big like CM Punk, and uh, we get some good exclusive interviews. That's probably the best thing we've got, is because we've got some great writers on our team who get great access to the stars of WWE, AEW, MLW, and we get some really good exclusive interviews nice. on site. Uh, they get nice. picked up by a lot of places as well. Yeah, cool. And um, I've also got a, I've got a couple of couple of gigs behind the commentary desk coming up, so. Um, very, very, uh, if you're very, very quick at downloading this, we have got, uh, I'm, I'm in, uh, doing two shows for Fight Nation. Um, this Thursday, the 25th of, um, of November in Eastbourne at My Skate World, um, which is a, a skating rink, which we convert into a wrestling venue. It's a fantastic little venue. Um, and then December the 12th, Sunday, December the 12th, we return to the Maidstone Moat Park Leisure Centre in Maidstone um, for Undisputed. Um, and that is going to be awesome. And, uh, and I get to wear my new spangly jacket that I bought in Camden in the summer. Did you buy it in Camden or did you steal it from Jamie Kennedy? No, I definitely bought it in Camden. Fair I, enough. I, I have the eye-watering receipt to uh, to remind me. <laughs> yeah, it was one the one of those where like I'm gonna go. I, I was it was actually the day after one of I think it was one of the other a. It might have been all out actually. The um, it was one of the day after one of the all out or the one of the AEW parties, 
And uh, on my way home, I thought I'm going to pop to Camden Market and have a mooch around there. And I went into this shop and it's like, oh, this jacket's amazing. So, yeah, I, it's uh, it's it's one it is it's, it's understated and classy, not uh, not sequined and in your face. You know. So so how did you find that in Camden? Um, if it, if in it the... was that and not the latter. I'd, I'd been in uh, I'd, I'd been in the shop before, and oh, don't get me wrong, there were some like monstrosities on in on, on display there as well. But you know, you just got to uh, you got to pan through the shit to find the gold sometimes. Yeah. True story, Dean. About ten years ago, a friend of mine had a stag doing Cardiff, and the theme of one of the nights out on his stag weekend was uh, ugly shirts. You had to wear the most hideous shirt going, and yeah. uh, I should have really rung you given some of the stuff you wore to wrestling fair shows play. back in the day. Yeah, fair shout. But I didn't think of that. I had a bit of a brain fart. And instead, to be fair, my second, like my, the, the thought I did end up having was uh, was a really good one, a good second place uh, finish, was that I just immediately thought, right, I need to go Camden. So me and a couple of the guys who were going, went to Camden, had a few beers, went into like one or two shops and we all set. Didn't take long at all. Excellent. <laughs> See, you know what you're getting there. You know what you're exactly. getting there. So um, today on on the show, we have, we, we've gone, we're going old school. We're going back to our roots. We are doing a pay-per-view review. We are uh, bringing back a very popular guest that we had on oh, about a year and a half ago, maybe. Don't ask me when it was. My time no, no. is jumbled. I've lo- oh, locked down and all that. No, no, no hope. I, cu- I couldn't tell you what... What guest came on what episode with what pay-per-view? It would sound like a game of Cluedo, wouldn't it? Uh, it was Doug Williams <laughs> yeah. in the study with Halloween <laughs> Havoc. No, Doug was Super Bowl 2, I do remember See, that. I'd be useless yeah. at this game. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right, this is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one, and you're listening to Because WCW. Now, choke on that. How do I remember that yet? Yeah, I can't remember basic things about my life who knows anyway let's uh let's bring our guest in and welcome back to because wcw sam berry gardner hello hello welcome back just, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're trying to work out when it was you're you're here how how long ago it was well, uh, I reckon year and coming a half. Up, yeah coming up two years it was oh. february it was just ah. before it was just before the leap year because you were talking about doing Super Brawl two with Doug. Yes. I was on. Ah. Then I think that got delayed a bit anyway. But yeah, so it was have been February twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah just would before it, lockdown. Would it? Yeah, I was going to say, would it be fair to say that your appearance on this podcast was the primary cause of lockdown? <laughs> oh yeah, pretty, pretty much. I, I I spread COVID via podcast, <laughs> I guess. I don't know how that works, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so who knows what's going to happen now? I'm, I apologise to everyone in advance for whatever pandemic spreads. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a swarm of locusts, aren't weeks. we? <laughs> yeah, we have opened the doors to hell. But um, but how how have you been, and how is the uh, the, the the world of wrestling? Are you getting a few few uh, bookings coming your way now that yeah, uh, uh, shows well, are up again? Yeah, I'm doing uh, lots of WrestleForce because he's running. Uh, pretty much every weekend so i've done oh, wow. quite a lot uh for him and then a few others are coming in uh debuted for fight factory up in well lincoln bit was uh gainsborough done that just gone saturday uh then randomly got offered uh friday night 
got uh, contacted by an Italian promoter who I've been looking to work for for a while. Oh, long story short, are you free next Saturday? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, nearly. Oh. But yeah, so yeah, it's all picking back up again. That's good to hear. And and yeah. all of this is under this is under the the voodoo gimmick. Yeah, just doing voodoo at the moment. Uh, I did actually buy some new stuff for some new gear for Exodus, but I haven't done anything with it yet. And I'm right in saying you you make most of your gear yourself, don't you? Um, kind of. It's more. I mean, all the voodoo stuff is just sort of cut up suits. Mm. So it's none of it's like proper wrestling gear. But it's all. Yeah, I mean, all my blockbuster stuff I made myself. Uh, some of the Exodus stuff and some of the voodoo stuff, but it's mostly just sort of repurposed. Repurposed stuff. But then why would why would a guy called Voodoo wear conventional wrestling gear? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had this argument. Uh, I got put on one of those trash bag wrestler web, uh, like, uh, Facebook sites at one point because right. uh, it looked like I was wearing a, like, I think they called it a Hot Topic wrestler. I was just wearing all the goth stuff for Exodus, but like, why would a monster wear tights? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this was about the time when like the two of the biggest factions in wrestling were the Wyatt family and um, the Shield. And none of them were wearing wrestling gear, but they don't care about that sort of stuff, do they? No, very good point. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ah, well. Um, so well, it's good to hear that uh, that. Business is picking up, and, and hopefully the world is getting continuing to get back to uh, get back to normal. I mean, WrestleForce, they're they're family family orientated shows, really, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. Good. Based around sort of the, I, I kind of want to say the the centre of England, but I'm sure there's a better a better phrase. Uh, for that. I mean, they're based out of Essex. Essex, but okay. Spread out, uh, sort of down. Uh, as far as well, they've done like Southampton, and they used to do up in Tamworth, and so yeah, spread out sort of Midlands, all sort of around London, and spreading out from there. Nice, but yeah, mostly sort of Essex and out of London. And has the voodoo gimmick made any children cry yet? Oh yeah, uh, excellent. That's how you know it. it works. The thing is, I've I've stopped. I, I mean, years ago, I stopped actually trying to scare anyone because one, it's a bit much, especially on family shows. And then I always used to pick the one kid that wasn't scared and used to get up in my face and was like, well, I can't punch him now, can I? So, but we did a show a few weeks ago and I think for the first time, two, no, I think three kids hid in the toilets for the entire match. <laughs> so that was good. Fantastic. Yeah. Great stuff. So, um, Tell us what show have you uh, chosen to review, and um, what reason was that was that choice made? Uh, I have chosen uh, Super Brawl One this time, which uh, similar to my last choice of uh, Starcade '91 uh, was just one of the VHSs I grew up with uh-huh. back in the must have been what '92, '93. I got them yep. a few years after it happened, but yeah, so. Uh, yeah, just another one I grew up with, so nostalgia. And uh, this one's actually not a shit show, unlike the other one. <laughs> well, I say no. that because yeah, uh, super, uh, super, not super, bro. Um, Starcade '91. I loved the VHS, and then when I actually watched it back fully, uh, when it's got like 
five five or eight, I don't know, whatever tag matches in a row, it really yeah, yeah it really gets to you. But when they cut half them out in the VHS, it's not too bad. It's fine, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, there's a, a cluster of, I think, four matches here that were, were deleted off of the VHS, which we'll we'll get to yeah. as well. So Four matches and like three segments and loads of it missing. So some of this stuff I saw for the first time. First time. A couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, it is May the 19th, 1991, and we are coming at you from the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg, Florida, for the very first WCW Super Bowl pay-per-view. And the show would move to February the following year and, and stay there um, to bring it in line with the Super Bowl, after which it's named. Um, so the opening titles have lots of American and Japanese flags to uh, signify the international ramifications of the main event. Um, this patriotic theme is continued with uh, a woman that I've never heard of before, shakily singing an a cappella version of America the Beautiful. It's, it's safe to say it's no WrestleMania. Um, our commentators are Jim Ross and Dusty Rhodes. The main event will see Ric Flair face Tatsumi Fujinami, and we'll we'll cover all the controversy and WCW fuckery later <laughs> on with that because oh god, it's confusing. Um, Dusty Rhodes is far too excited and needs to calm down. But um, but Liam, yes, oh, where's he gone? There he is. Hello. He is. Um, you, you know you know how we we always complain about how WCW pay per views have about ten minutes of just talking a load of shit and segments and interviews before we get into the first match. Yes, it's a rather unwelcome trope of theirs. Yeah. Well, this time around. We say hello to Dusty and Jim Ross, and we go straight into the us- the first match without the usual ten minutes of horseshit. Who were the like, you do get a couple, Yeah, you do get a couple of minutes of the uh, singing. Okay? Wow, we- which is so bad if you know if it messes up the tracking on the master tape. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? You, you s- tracking goes on the network. Yeah, yeah, you say that, but one thing I'll, I'll say in their defence for that is. One of the main reasons we we really hate that big segment of admin or talky or or running down the card or whatever whatever it is they do is various um, incarnations of it, isn't there, Dean? And um, the main reason is because they they do the intro and the pyro or whatever it is that that tells the live crowd that we're about to start, and then they do all that. At least when they bring out the singer. And I've never liked that on any show, any company. It's just tedious. It's fast-forward material. You just want to get to the wrestling, obviously. But when it comes to live crowd, it at least, you, you, you know, you go to a show yourself and then they do the song and you know what's coming after that. You you get the order of things. Uh, I'm not going to say it was any good, the singing, but you, at, least you, <laughs> at, at least you understand that, you know, this is just a prelude to what's coming and you can, yeah. and you can get amped up to the, to the right amount in the right order. Whereas to bring people up with the actual intro and then do 10 minutes of crap is just, it, you're basically killing the buzz. So we've seen openers, haven't we, where they've actually had to build the crowd back up when they should be absolutely yeah. rabid for the first match. Yeah, well, thankfully, no such problems here because, as I said, we have gone straight into mm. it. And, and as if we, we needed uh, to worry that the first match, um, when you talk about 
getting the crowd on side. Uh, the first match is well, it's for the vacant US tag team titles. The fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, accompanied by Diamond Dallas Page and Big Daddy Dink, and they're taking on the Young Pistols, Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. Um, DDP's wearing a headset mic and shouts at uh, the ring announcer Gary Michael Capetta during their intro. I did at first wonder what was going on, thought something had gone wrong with, uh, in typical WCW fashion with the, the sound system, but no, it was just DDP being being obnoxious. Um, Jim Ross explains that the Steiner brothers had to relinquish these titles when they won the world tag titles recently, and this is the Young Pistols' first opportunity at any kind of tag team gold in WCW, and they are psyched up for it. The Pistols start off fast until Big Daddy Dinks trips Steve Armstrong, which brings out his brother Brad Armstrong to even up the numbers and increase the mullet quota in the match. Um, this leaves a Big Daddy Dink being thrown out of the ringside area. Again, the Pistols are back in charge till Hayes pulls down the top rope and low bridges Smothers. Um, eventually Smothers makes a hot tag to Armstrong, but they miss stereo top rope drop kicks on each of their opponents, but they're back up quickly. Smothers clotheslines both three birds over the top rope to the floor and Armstrong lands a crossbody from the top to the floor on both men. Um, they hit a double team move off the top, but they collide with the referee. And at this point, a masked man in pink tights climbs the rope and hits a sort of tornado DDT on both members of the young pistols. Um, He's identified as Fantasia by Jim Ross, and therefore I'm thinking it's most likely Brad Armstrong making his second appearance in the, in the match as some sort of inside rib. Um, the referee recovers in time to count the match-winning fall in 10 minutes, 19 seconds, and by nefarious means, the, the Fabulous Freebirds are your new United States champion. Uh, Barry, what were your thoughts on this opener? I uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, this is one of the ones that was on the uh, VHS, so I'm used to this one. Yep. Uh, though, uh, on the VHS, it, VHS obviously got released after they realised they're not going to call him Fantasia because they'll probably get sued by Disney. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, by the time you next see him, they end up calling him Bad Street. Yes. But on the VHS, they just... See, I, I wanted to go back and watch the VHS to see this, but they definitely don't call him Fantasia at all during the, at the end of the match. Right. So yeah, I don't know you if they only, just you only hear the name mentioned once, and it's it's on his shirt, but you can't really make it out. And this, if if Jim Ross hadn't said it, I would not have noticed it on his shirt, nah. basically. And they do they do mention it right in the closing at the end of the show, because uh, Dusty goes uh, something like, "Oh, I want to know what the deal is with Fantasia." Uh, but on on the VHS, they reverse it like a swear in a rap video. Oh, and so okay. it's just I always wondered what the hell is he saying there? That's really weird. But now I understand. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh huh. But yeah, great match. The, the crowd was stupidly hot for the beginning of this. Mm. Literally, what uh, Hayes does a strut and then they do a lock up. Hayes does oh he does an arm drag, turns around, does a little wiggle. And then just a schoolboy, and the crowd goes mental. <laughs> so that tells you how hot they were to start off, and they stayed hot throughout the match. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just a great opener, really. So obviously, title match, so lots of hype. They're, they're kind of feuding anyway, but there's no story needed for it to explain the feud. Nice, simple match, great heat. 
lots of high spots. I mean, then it goes a bit overboard with the rest bump and the run-in, but it all works, and it's a great opener, really. Cool, yeah. I mean, Liam, we always bang on about the art of the opener. I mean, these two teams are absolutely ideal for that position. Yeah, they've picked the right personnel. They're familiar with each other. Tag formula slots in nicely for a good opening match as well. Uh, so easy to relay, isn't it, with the with the stamina? No, no one's going to get too tired because you can just do do the tagging in and outs and keep that sort of tempo that, that an opener benefits from. Um, personally, I'm kind of bummed that the whole Brad Armstrong as Fantasia thing with his brother on the on the on the other side and even making an appearance. I, I, I'm a little gutted that didn't end up being an actual like payoff that would have been pretty cool but then i suppose that was never going to stand a chance of happening when apparently they've removed their fucking surnames they're just called Stephen tracy yeah. now they don't have surnames anymore yeah like uh mid 2000 divas <laughs> yeah just a first name that's all you've got well, whereas these days with vince people have surnames and no first names yeah, yeah no one's allowed two names are they as that's right liam yeah but do, and do you do you think do you think that the reason that they had Brad Armstrong come out at the beginning of the match and then come out as Fantasia at the end is just someone having a rib? I see how quickly probably. he can get changed. Probably to try and swerve Meltzer or something, isn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would these say people he looks a lot about. smaller. He, he looks a lot smaller wearing the Fantasia get up. Mm. I just yeah noticed that. Yeah, clearly wearing I, the same boots. But uh, yeah, just all oh, the black yes, and the feathers. Yeah, I hadn't noticed yeah. the boots. Of course, the boots are usually the giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just plain white boots, but they're still. Yeah. You know, they are. He didn't change his boots or anything. Yeah. Which uh, I've done before when I've done doubles in rumbles and that. Always make sure I change the boots. Nice mark of a mark of a true pro, Barry. Definitely yeah, mark of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to pop himself. <laughs> Great stuff. So, um, but I know what you mean, Liam. That you know, we never had that. You know, um, the unmasking of Bad Street and face to face with his own brother who's betrayed him. You, you could have got some some mileage out of that, I'm sure. Yeah, it would have been decent. But at least uh, I, I thought the DDTs he hit at the end were pretty damn sweet when he was uh, up on the ropes to to add to the impact. Yeah. And to think there's people in the modern age that say, oh yeah, the, these moves have been done to death now and you look we're getting even in 91 we're getting rope hung variations of the ddt <laughs> yeah right um we uh we now enter the four match portion of the show that was never on the vhs match number two and we basically do go straight into match number two uh is ricky morton versus dan spivey and i think it's safe to say we all know how this is going to go with the one foot and 100 pound size difference and morton's legendary selling ability um spivey keeps trying to throw morton out of the ring but morton springs right back into the ring each time um Spivey then catches Morton dropping his head for a backdrop, lands a big DDT followed by a clothesline. Morton fires back with kicks and punches, but they have very little effect on the bigger man. Um, a Spivey leg drop gets a two count. Spivey misses a charge into the corner. Morton gets a two count with a roll up. Morton misses a drop kick. Spivey misses an elbow drop. There seems to be a little bit of a miscommunication, but Morton ends up in a powerbomb position after getting a knee to the stomach. Spivey lands the powerbomb for the win in a very one-sided three minutes and 11 seconds um just a 
pretty one-sided demo of Dan Spivey's ability, isn't it? Uh, let's go. Yeah. Let's go Barry with that one. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Basically, just a squash with a little bit of fire. Um, I did 100% steal this opening of the match a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> just throwing them out and letting them get straight back in. I really like that start. It's just something a bit different. So, yeah, I did that a couple of weeks ago uh, after watching this. Uh, But, yeah, uh, the one thing I did like, or didn't like, did notice, when he, well, not basically, he actually hits him with the razor's edge. Yeah. But, uh, so, a couple of, uh, yeah, a couple of matches before the debut of, uh, what, Diamond Stud? Yes. But I did notice, on watching it back earlier, you hear him say, trust me, as he's about to hit it. So he obviously hasn't called it or anything. So I'm wondering if that's a, yeah, if that's a rib or something on uh, Scott. Ah, maybe. But yeah, you literally hear, he picks him up and just goes, trust me, and hits him with the, uh, or the diamond death drop at the Mm. time, I guess. And yeah, yeah, then the botch at the finish. And then uh, Morton is clearly not happy about the slot on the chest pin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because he, he basically rolls his shoulder up on like 3.1. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 3.1. Yeah, he, he sort of covers his face. He like sort of is almost no-selling, sort of pushes something off his face and I think swears at him. And then, yeah, kicks out on 3.1. So, yeah, he was not happy with the, uh, the job of finish. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Liam, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I've, I've got to be honest, I enjoyed it. This was the Dan Spivey because you hear a lot, and I think we touched upon it in previous episodes, there were times where he just couldn't really move around a lot. He was injured or whatever, or he was just kind of there and he knew he was leaving soon, so he didn't really do much. And then on the, when the stars aligned, there was a certain a certain edition of Dan Spivey that was just awesome to watch. And I thought we really mm. found that gear here at certain parts. I do like a good squash like that. But I have, yeah. to, I have to ask, Barry, is um, when you say about things like where, where they're saying, try, and this is obviously very much your territory with the in-ring, it makes me want to ask a follow-up question. Is um, What is the... Pro- so so if, if there's a protocol where you a wrestler finds themselves putting their uh, putting their dance partner, so to speak, their opponent into a position and they're, they're, they're not entirely convinced that the opponent's going to be sure how they lay. What, what do you do? Do you, do you try and call the the bump they need to take? Do you say, like, you're going to have a back bump? Or what's the to try and, when you are improvising a move like that? Uh, I mean, when I ever improvise, I keep it simple. So if there's any sort of weird bumps or big bumps, weird moves, I always try and sort of talk it through beforehand. But obviously, certainly back in this day and age, a lot of it was improv. So, yeah, I guess it's just a case of, yeah, tuck your chin. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. And, and I suppose when you've got a guy as experienced as Ricky Morton, that you know, you just go, yeah, if you're told by someone equally as experienced as Dan Spive, you're told, trust me, and you just you just go with it. But Yeah. yeah. I know the I, trust me didn't apply to the cover, though. Not the cover. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was trust a Jake me, the Snake a box, trust me, then. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've got to say, any time 
I've anytime I've had to take a bumper as a, a manager, I always, always, always like either walk through it or better still do the whole thing like before the show, just because my thinking is I've got to take as good a bump as a wrestler would take because otherwise it's one of those things that always looks weird of like well how come you know he's been able to get the big 300 pound wrestler up but he can't get the the manager who weighs a lot less than that up because you're you know sandbagging him or not taking it right so yeah i think you know as, as you say barry it's always important just to know you know, know what you're meant to be doing and to make your opponent make the other guy look good basically yeah obviously like if you're just gonna throw in a slam or a suplex or something simple like that yeah then you don't need to talk that through and everyone knows how to take that sort of stuff. Sure. But, yeah. 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 So anything more interesting, how we say, <laughs> and sometimes you do need to talk it through. Indeed. Yes. Right. Well, um, we have our first little segment of the, uh, of the evening after this Tony Shivani's on the ramp with, uh, Tom Zenk, who is dressed in a suit and a very early nineties tie who, uh, he is currently out injured and Missy Hyatt, who's wearing a suit jacket, a bow tie and a bra and appears to have forgotten her blouse. Um, they're still banging on about Missy getting an interview in the dressing room, which we saw, um, at the previous pay-per-view wrestle 91. I think they show us the, the clip of her being thrown out of the dressing room by Stan Hansen. And um, it all gets a bit of sexual harassment between her and Tom Zenk at the end, where she's talking about like if Tom Zenk's going to be having a shower later on. And it was a different time, Liam. It was it was a massively different time, and yet alarmingly, it was it was only thirty years ago. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, match best, number three. No, oh, best thing about that segment, though, yeah, is they cut to the crowd afterwards. And it shows some guys that are chanting "Mercy, Mercy," and then one of them stops and starts doing a massive blowjob. <laughs> and they just keep it all on camera. Brilliant. Hey, I missed that bit. Um, match number three: Tommy Rich takes on Nikita Koloff. Nikita Koloff, now billed from Lithuania, comes out to no music, doesn't get much of a reaction. Um, he returned to WCW after two years away, targeting the US champion Lex Luger, saying that Luger stole his title previously. Um, similar kind of uh, story to the previous match. Rich uses speed to try and gain an advantage, uh, which works. He misses a charge into the corner, hits his head on the turnbuckle. Koloff then takes the match down to his slower pace. Um, Rich misses another move, a springing cross body block off the middle rope. Koloff lands the Russian sickle clothesline, which is still called the Russian and sickle even those from Lithuania now um, for a, a pretty much a squash win in, in four minutes 27 seconds um, just just something out there to, to put Nikita Koloff in our consciousness I guess Barry? Yeah, uh, meh basically this mm. one, again another squash but this one just didn't hit anywhere near as good as the last one and literally it's just a clothesline finish out of nowhere Yeah, but yeah I did look uh, because I keep banging on about Tommy Rich, former NWA world champion. That I looked up, he was champion for four days. Yep. And it was literally just uh, basically, uh, I can't remember how they describe it, but basically to try and get the booker over in a dispute over the territory. Oh, and right. That's all it was. Yeah. He just sort of it, it bumped up the territory for a bit, and uh, whoever it was, managed to sort of take over and 
that's the only reason they gave him the title. Ah, there is uh, there is another uh, rumored reason, but I couldn't possibly go into any further details on that on a podcast because I don't want to get sued. But that fan from the Missy Hyatt segment could possibly help, right? Well, no, that's how Missy got into wrestling. I don't know if that's why he got the title, or is this a different? A completely different. Uh, we'll yeah, we'll 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 fill you in on the details once we uh, finish the recording. I was trying but, not to yeah. put too fine a point on yeah. Dean's desperate attempt to avoid being taken off the air, whereas I want to see him get like the book thrown at him. Well, yeah, is... as we all do. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything to add to that match, Liam, or uh, just? Yeah, no, I I agree with the whole. You know, I know we've got a few squashes on it, and you can you you really shouldn't dabble with it too much if you're going to put on an awesome squash and I'll, I'll, I'll go as far as to say that i don't think the spivey squash was the last good squash on the card but i'll save that good stuff for later uh this wasn't it the cut off match and what we say about it puts you in the presence here's the thing right and especially now we're seeing like not just aew but AEW's a good example and other places are, are actually starting to show a good uh, use of the rotation of their roster and mm. making sure like not not everyone's wrestling appearing all the time and it, and it really does help keep things fresh now knowing what we know about Koloff and a big angle coming up later on the show again we'll cover that when we get there um, he doesn't need a match he could just show up in his street clothes looking to stick it to Luger because as, as we'll remember, as you mentioned earlier, that was the thing going in. And we did, it wasn't that long ago that we did uh, WrestleWar 91, was it? We know that the no. 91, 92, 93 shows are really popular. Now, I don't mind that. It's, it's a shame they will run out at some point. But obviously, they're the popular um, time to do. And we've done a lot of the 91 pay-per-views very recently. Did WrestleWar, saw the start of the Luger Koloff thing. Obviously, they've got bigger plans afoot for Luger. Uh, but given that he's doing that running, does he really need a match on the show? Yeah, I mean, no. I, yeah, I suppose. Well, when we when we look at the show overall, I think yeah, there are a few too many things that could could have been could have been removed. And I suppose right. Well, I suppose the Top fact that the this isn't is on the me. yeah for I all the, the reasons fact, underlined. Yeah, the fact that this was not on the VHS as well kind of tells mm. you it's not vital, but yeah. Okay, well, we're back with Tony Schiavone on the ramp, um, and he introduces um, a... Well, th- this was an era where WCW were creating lots and lots of new, larger-than-life characters, um, and we see, actually, this one of the few that, that actually stuck, Johnny B. Bad, played by Mark Merrow, um, along with his uh, manager, Teddy Long, um, he's really overdone it with the eye makeup, but they're, they're setting up a feud with another WCW newcomer, PN News, um, which didn't really capture anyone's imagination. But yeah, this was, uh, and we'll, we'll see, as you've, as you've already mentioned, Barry, we'll see another character debuted in the Diamond Stud a bit later on. So yeah, this is an era where they're really throwing, throwing a lot of new characters at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, 
Time for match number four. It's Dustin Rhodes against Terence Taylor of the York Foundation alongside uh, Alexandra York and their bodyguard, Mr. Hughes. Uh, Rhodes gets a great reception from the crowd here in Florida. That's where he started out before signing with WCW. It's obviously one of the most famous territories for Dusty Rhodes. Um, the York Foundation had made an offer to Dustin to join them, but he refused, which brought about this match. Um I don't know about the, you guys, but I found it inadvertently hilarious listening to Dusty on commentary telling us what he reckons Alexandra York's computer is telling um, Taylor to do. Uh, Rhodes is in control of the match till he misses a crossbody block and ends up rolling onto the ramp. Taylor's on offense till he misses a top rope dive uh, where Rhodes' foot connects with Taylor's face. Rhodes lands a great flying clothesline followed by a clunky atomic drop. There's... Um, and and I, I, I thought that a lot of Rhodes' movement in this match looked sort of uncertain. Um, he hits a bulldog moments later, but Ms. York has the referee distracted, so there's no count. Mr. Hughes gets up on the apron, puts on a black glove, goes to punch Rhodes, but Rhodes ducks. Hughes punches Taylor instead. Rhodes makes the cover on the fall, and Taylor gets the win in eight minutes and five seconds. What do you make of this one, Barry? Oh, I think... Of those eight minutes and five seconds, about five minutes of it was the ref being distracted by Alexander York at the end, because that must have been the longest ref distraction ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this was like you said. Yeah, obviously this was very early on in Dustin's career, and he was a bit uncertain a lot of the time, very hunched over a lot as well, so not very comfortable in there. Uh, yeah, one little botch, but not covered really well when he goes for the bionic elbow just as uh, Terence Taylor crossbodies him or something. Maybe going for the five arm, I don't know. But then he manages to sort of catch him in midair and turn it into a headlock. Yeah. That was pretty good. There was a random bottom rope superplex sort of thing into the ring, which uh, gave Cesaro ideas years later, I guess. Um one thing I did like in the entrance is uh, when they had the random, obviously, local jobbers come out in suits. And Capetta announced them as the newly elected board of directors for the first quarter of 1991. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. In May. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're newly elected for, yeah, six months ago. Yeah, I mean, like for for me, it's like a case of that's that's pretty much a typical botch. But I, I did have a big soft spot for for the commitment to the gimmick because so when you see little details like that, just silly little details for things like entrances and that. That, admittedly, I, I have to say, is the sort of thing that makes me enjoy wrestling. So seeing that entrance uh, actually tickled me to an extent, even though they just, they, as you said, they, they, they can't get the details right of anything, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, Why, was, Liam? Why? Oh, it was about as, because WCW as it gets. <laughs> um, but yeah. See, I, I want to see them bringing back championship committees to wrestling. That's what I like. <laughs> yeah, but no, if you, if you do championship committees and you reveal the name of one person that's on it, then you've ruined it forever. You can't. Say, they have. They have to be a mysterious, pretty much admittedly non-existent championship committee. Even if the names are made up. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell people that I am on a championship committee for a wrestling company. They can't <laughs> prove otherwise. How are they gonna nope. prove otherwise? Exactly. Fancy yeah. starting a championship committee, fellas. Yep. Let's do it. But I'm I'm wrong in saying that the championship committee aren't the same uh, group of people that hand out the managing licenses that you need. No, that's a different. I miss them. Uh, yeah. I miss manager licenses. And no referee way. licenses. Yeah, obviously. Now that that was a that was a classic rib by uh, Andre at Hammerlock, <laughs> charging people uh, or, or yeah, telling people they needed to bring twenty five pounds along for their manager's license. <laughs> Does the uh, money yeah, go that, that back to like the poor me. sap afterwards? Uh, if it's Andre, probably not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's not mate, mate. That's not a rib. <laughs> no, I think yeah. I think it depends on if Andre liked them or not. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So probably not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Rib, rib is a very polite term for yeah. that. That's yeah. actual fraud. <laughs> um, so yeah, the uh, jacket that uh, Taylor wears to the ring is his red rooster jacket with a patch on the back. I've noticed. Or, oh. uh, yeah, so it's literally his red rooster jacket from WWF, but with just a big white sort of patch over half the back that says Terry or Terence Taylor instead. Well, you know, you've got to, uh, got to upcycle yeah. these things. Yeah, damn right. Because he probably had to buy it himself in the first place. It's not like he just stole it from oh, yeah. WWF. I will not, uh, also, this finishes off nicely the Tribector, because this match you've got Terence Taylor... Match before Tommy Rich. Match before that. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's his Ricky name? Morton. Uh, Ricky Morton. So yeah, give it a few, uh, few months, and they're all in the stable together. Very good point. Having all lost on pay per view. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, okay. And Liam, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, you talked about it, but the Terence Taylor does the spot I really have always hated, where he goes for a double axe handle on someone that's yeah. Lame. On the floor and takes the boot. Yeah, Which, that didn't make uh, any sense. No, but they always. Arn Anderson was terrible for it. Yes. But yeah, it's just one of those spots I've always hated. Yes, as much as I I love Arn Anderson, I will totally agree with you there that yeah, that's one of the things he would always do, and and yeah, absolutely, it never ever made any sense whatsoever. No. So he does fix it in this one, probably because Terry, Terry Taylor already tried it. Yes. We'll get to that in a bit. We will. Liam, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, he was green as you like where he was now. I feel, I feel like I've, the, my, my, my fanboying is of the of the board of directors was, was pretty much all I had to add to this. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it is, I will say this one for you. It's, it's amazing to see from, from where he is now. And uh, I remember very much at the at the time and even quite a few years after the, the whole stigma of... Um, of Dustin Rhodes was, you know, nepotism, over push because of his name, but look at him now, he, he's well and truly uh, established himself as a, a, as a, as a very important member of the, of, of the tapestry Ooh. of pro wrestling history, isn't mm. he? Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Match number five. And yes, this really is on pay-per-view and not WCW worldwide. It's black Bart versus big Josh. And uh, we start the uh, the theme, the short-lived theme of WCW's animal abuse because uh, Big Josh comes out with two live, probably heavily drugged, muzzled bears who are being forced to walk on their hind paws. Um, it's a 
different time, wasn't it? Uh, one um, of them that pisses the entire way down to the ring. Does it? I yep. again, I didn't spot this. I really yep. am not the most observant of people, am I? Okay, <laughs> probably because so, it's petrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Josh notices as he's doing it. He's like, oh, oh, fucking hell. So it's a drugged, muzzled, pissing bear. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Black Bart is subbing for an injured Larry Zabisco. Um, So for those of you unaware, Big Josh is is a Northwestern lumberjack gimmick being portrayed by the highly experienced Matt Bourne, who is having to portray a highly inexperienced new, new blood wrestler. And again, Big Josh was one of these new characters that were brought in um by wcw at the time um this is a very one-dimensional slugfest even jim ross declares it as not the prettiest match we'll see here tonight the crowd are pretty quiet too um josh hits a double axe handle get it he's a lumberjack axe handle followed by uh, an earthquake style sit down splash for the win in three minutes 46 um yeah it was just it was just sort of there wasn't it barry yeah yeah pretty much slightly uh well, I mean, it was better than the and the Keita Koloff match, I'd say probably, but only just. Yeah. But yeah, it was just it was just there, wasn't it? Uh, I do love the log roll when he just stamps on him. Yeah. And the thing that computer, I still haven't quite wrapped my head around it. So, as Big Josh's finisher was the vertical splash, which I don't think he was big enough to pull off. Yeah. Convincingly, and then obviously became Doink. Never done it again. And then suddenly he gets replaced by Ray Apollo, who starts using the vertical splash off the top rope as a finish. Ah. And it just, yeah, it's just one of those, oh, so he started using that. Uh, wait a minute, that's a different guy. That doesn't, yeah. And he's just uh, one that's always made me go a bit cross-eyed for no was, apparent reason. Was Steve Kern doink in between he was, that board he, and Ray Apollo? Or was he the no, other? He was, he was the second, one of the second doinks, or maybe right. the third doink. Because wasn't uh, Skinner as well? Yeah, Steve Kern. One of the Skinner, yeah. Oh, Steve Kern. Yeah, so it's Steve Kern and um, I'm blanking on his name, Brooklyn Brawler. Oh, Steve Lombardi. Steve Lombardi. Yeah, they were the sort of the three doinks, ah. or the, the second and third doinks, and then yeah, just as he was turning face, he got fired for drugs or something, and then uh, Ray Apollo came in. Can't fire a clown for drugs. Well, they did clearly, but oh yeah, <laughs> oh but um, yeah. Sort of, Josh was just sort of he done. He was doing some good moves, but then he was just sort of doing them twice, and it just sort of was killing it. He sort of uh, even just the hip tosses at the beginning, just done two in a row, and then he done that weird arm takedown thing, but twice in a row, and it was just a bit weird. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It just didn't seem to. I don't know what. What do you think, Liam? I mean, my thinking here is it didn't seem to just have a place on the on a pay per view, really. But yeah, I mean, I think you and I have mentioned our soft spot for Big Josh, but in this situation, it's it's you can understand. Well, on the one hand, you can understand why the match itself was cut, but let's just look at it from a different angle here. They went to the trouble of having two live bears and the the bear handler, you know, has to be paid and all this all this expense for for an elaborate yep. entrance and it got cut from the from the from the home video. 
So, yeah, if you thought it was just a one-off because WCW for this show, I feel, I feel like they're going to rattle them off like a machine gun at this rate. But, yeah, it was enough How, how could it possibly get worse than that? Nah. Mm. Nah. Well, um, we then have uh, a special edition of the Danger Zone with Paulie Dangerously. Uh, again, I stress this is a pay-per-view that people have specifically <laughs> paid money to watch. Um, Paulie's wearing a cowboy hat. He introduces his guest, Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen had his chewing tobacco dripping down his chest. He's unhappy that no one wanted to wrestle him tonight, specifically naming Dustin Rhodes. Um, in typical WCW fashion, Paulie's mic keeps cutting out. I have no idea what the point in this segment was until I then find out that the next match has got the debut of Oz and I realised that they needed time to set up the $100,000 backdrop for the entrance. <laughs> and bear in mind, that's $100,000 30 years ago. So, sit tight, everyone. It's time for the debut of Oz, portrayed by Kevin Nash, with Kevin Sullivan dressed up as the great wizard. Um, and, and again, this is like when they called the giant haystacks Loch Ness. They have called him after a place because yeah. he is Oz. Um, the wizard has a real live monkey on a leash on his shoulders, um, which would be dead by the end of this segment. Yeah. Uh, which I only discovered this a little while ago, but we'll we'll, we'll mention this in a, in a while, I'm sure. Um, we have a cast of extras dressed up as characters from The Wizard of Oz approaching the castle backdrop among tons of dry ice. Um, Oz comes out with an old man mask and a funny hat along with a luminous green cape. He's billed as seven feet tall, which is about right for Nash. He literally hits three moves in the, in the match, ending it with the always impressive looking helicopter slam for the win in 26 seconds to barely any reaction from the crowd. As Jim Ross calls it a tremendous debut. Oh, and Nash also has his hair sprayed sort of silver gray. Um, what, what the fuck was this Barry? Uh, this was a uh, marketing tie-in because Turner Classic Movies had just gained the rights for The Wizard of Oz. Ah, yeah. You see, I was, was about. <laughs> I was wondering why you know, that, that massive wrestling Wizard of Oz fan crossover that we know about. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Well, no, it's more of the massive Turner crossover. Yes, right, that makes a lot more sense now. But you have to remember, welcome to Oz, welcome mm-hmm. to Oz, welcome 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 to Oz. And then, do you notice Sullivan is in the ring the entire match? Yes. Yeah, just doesn't even bother getting out, probably because he can't with the monkey and the stupid costume. Yeah. But See, yeah. I like that. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me of like a New Jack keeping his entrance music during mm. his matches. Honestly, if you if you're gonna go outrageous, you you might as well go all the way, and it's just it's I can't believe like all, all that time as you said that he's constantly saying welcome to us, welcome to us. Why not just have him fucking do it during the match as well? You've started, so you might as well finish. You might as well commit to the bit because yeah. otherwise it is truly annoying. If you do something annoying and half-ass it, you might it's professional wrestling. You might as well just dial it to eleven. They should yeah, have kept yeah, it man. going. But when I said um, 
that I didn't think we were done with good squashes on this. Uh, this was what I had in mind because mm. I thought Nash, from a from an in ring point of view, uh, which is all he can really properly control, he he looked the part. I mean, like the the, the entrance itself, utterly ridiculous. You could hear the crowd like. Uh, <laughs> heckling it and booing it couldn't you? you could hear some of the things they were saying uh during this massive protracted um homage to the fucking film yeah and then as he's revealed himself nash and he's uh, you know he's a seven foot tall muscular guy and despite all this silly bollocks they're doing he it's very clear as he walks to the ring he's he's got a like a mean look on his face he's he's, he's caught a bit of attention i thought um, and he's gone in, he's done a good quick squash, great finish, he he just looked, you know, he had that zip about him that, that Dan Spivey had you kind of need in a squash match. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just a shame it came with all that garbage before it. Yeah, but also, if you're tying this in with, with acquiring the rights to the Wizard of Oz, why would you want people booing your tribute to the Wizard of Oz. Surely you'd want it to be a baby face. It just didn't make any like another thing that didn't make any sense with this. Yeah, and after all that after all that pageantry, he comes down to the ring to the mo- the most basic version of another one bites of dust that you ever hear. It was like one of us made it on a Casio keyboard. <laughs> yeah, just it's sort of all weird, all spooky, big epic wizard and oh just a bit of random funky music. Yeah, it doesn't to... fit the character. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah, and um, just to uh, just to mention this this poor monkey, yeah. um, that as, as we said, a live monkey that he's got on the leash on his shoulder. Um, thankfully we don't see it um on the on the broadcast, but um, and Sullivan's confirmed this in a shoot interview that basically, as they were going back up the ramp, the monkey leapt off his shoulder and went to jump on a member of the audience. So uh, Sullivan pulled the leash back to to get the monkey back and accidentally broke its neck and killed it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, not only did the character not get over, they killed a monkey for it. Yeah. And it was nearly, I mean, it was scared shitless by the pyro before that anyway. So it probably nearly had a heart attack yeah. as it was. And it was two days away from retirement. <laughs> <sighs> Poor monkey. Poor monkey. Um, the other thing so... I did like is right at the beginning where you just hear Sullivan go, uh, tell me when. Okay. <laughs> Enough of one of those live mics. And did you think, I wasn't sure... But it did almost sound like Kevin Nash was doing the voiceover. Oh. I don't know. But it sort of had that at least older Kevin Nash twang to it. But I don't know yeah. if he was doing it, actually doing it. But he definitely did. We knew he could talk it, even he? back then. Yeah. But it, yeah, it that was big line when, when he revealed himself. Much. He did definitely. Yeah. So yeah, sort of the narrator. Yeah. Type thing. I think was yeah, just Kevin Nash the whole time, which was pretty good oh, i have to watch that back again i didn't uh, i didn't tweak that okay fair enough well yeah um one of the one of the worst things wcw's ever done would you say i mean i know they've done a lot of shit over the years but yeah. this surely this has got to be right up there with them yeah um, i mean the obviously the Shockmaster, because even with yeah. the shock even if he hadn't fallen over he was still just a guy in a fur coat and a spray painted 
Stormtrooper helmet. I don't get what they think that. But yeah, I'd never actually seen Oz before. I'd seen like some photos and that. Yeah. But this is the first time I've seen the the debut and just him in motion. And yeah, he looked obviously looked awesome in the ring because he's Kevin Nash. But yeah, the whole entrance and everything was just yeah, got to be up there with one of the worst things I've ever done. And so any other appearance that... he made, he was just a generic big guy, wasn't he? Because he made a couple of appearances mm. after this. Well, and he was, Including yeah. one one tagging up with the Diamond Stud, I found recently. Oh, really? Well, yeah. As Oz or as Vinnie Vegas? Yeah, Oz, Oz and the Diamond Stud. The, uh, I think it's, it might have even been Big Josh and Tom Zink or something. Okay. But yeah. Interesting. Early Outsiders. Yes. Well, we'll we'll come uh, we'll come back to talk about them in in a, in a little bit, but um, so uh, we then go back to Missy Hyatt, who's trying to get an interview in the dressing room. Uh, she encounters. I'll just say this is this for some reason. This segment is back on the VHS. So Oz isn't, but Oz Missy isn't, Hyatt. But Missy Hyatt. Uh, so it does, it makes no sense, and this is what always confused me back when I was obviously like a young teenager watching this. So they're talking yeah. about oh, you had a. Had an issue earlier with uh, uh, in this match that we didn't see and had no not heard about. So I thought, oh, what happened there? But obviously they cut out half the show. Yes. Oh. But yeah. Fair enough. Carry well, on. Yes. Thank you. Um, so yes, Missy Hart encounters Terence Taylor. Uh, she seems to be obsessed with looking for the Z-Man, even though he's injured and not wrestling. Um, she goes to see if he's in the shower because obviously that's the way to become be looked at as a serious journalist um and she then once again bumps into stan hansen who is curiously wearing boxer shorts in the shower um and he sends missy packing out of the dressing room spanking her on the way and um liam yeah do you know right it was um it was a different time it was a different time and they, and they loved this garbage so much on the previous pay-per-view they thought they'd do it again yeah, we were we were dangerously close to this to being a regular running gag on those <laughs> pay per views. And I mean, you know, I would have definitely been buying the pay per views purely for the Missy High in the dressing room segments. Let's see how many spanks he slips in next, and, and to hear <laughs> and to hear her talk about it being her life's ambition to interview a male wrestler in the shower. Yeah. 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 Right. Moving on, we, we go back to the... Well, we're now on the decent matches because they're included on the VHS. And this is a uh, taped fists match between Brian Pillman and Barry Windham. And there's obviously a big size difference here, but that plays into Pillman's underdog character. Uh, Windham's hair looks really weird because he's growing it back long after cutting it all off to pose as Sting at Halloween Havoc 1919. It's now at that awkward in-between stage, much like Sting's own hair would get a few years later. Um, the first big move sees Wyndham go to the top rope and get drop-kicked off it by Pillman. Uh, he falls to the floor. Pillman connects with a fist from the top rope to the floor, which connects with Wyndham's head. Um, Wyndham then pulls Pillman into the ring post head first. Uh, in, Wyndham climbs back into the ring, and then by this point, both men are bleeding as a result of those specific moves. Um, they're also lighting up each other's chest with loud chops. They then have a clash of heads and both men go down. 
Um, Pillman goes up to the top rope. Wyndham shoves the referee out of the way. Low blows Pillman. Um, I don't know what the ref's complaining about because we've already established there's no disqualification in a taped fist match. Wyndham hits a, a trademark superplex and that amazing sort of float over cover that he does in one fluid motion. And he gets the win in, in a mere six minutes and eight seconds. Um, this could have gone longer, couldn't it, Barry? Yeah, definitely. But this is why was this a tape fist match? Why was this a tape fist match? This was there was a reason. There was no reason. It's literally no. because Dusty was booking and wanted pretty much every match to have a gimmick. Okay. Pretty much no other reason. Uh, from what I found out, they they were feuding, and I mean this wasn't even the end of the feud. The feud ends with the loser leaves town. Which yeah, the clash Pillman of the champions. Being the, yeah. yeah, Pillman being the yellow dog and all that yeah. stuff. But yeah, this was just yeah for the hell of it. Yeah, let's just throw a gimmick on it. And the yellow dog was a gimmick, mask gimmick that Dusty Rhodes had done in Florida, wasn't that yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I don't. Had he actually done the? I know it was obviously based on the uh, Midnight Rider gimmick, but ah, oh, that there there was definitely a a yellow dog somewhere. Yeah, I think dirty yeah, yellow uh, dog or something. Yeah, there was another one. But we'll it's, it's, a, it's a gimmick that's been done a million times. Because while yeah. I was looking up um, Thomas Rich, he'd done it back when he got, which, uh, yeah, actually ties back to an early match as well, when he lost the loser leaves town to DiBiase in, I think it was world class. And then he came back as uh, Mr. R, which is a really inventive name yeah and so ah. dbrc was all like oh yeah that's him so he had a match with him yeah. and then goes to unmask him thomas rich appears at ringside unmasks him and turns out to be a uh, new guy um brad armstrong who then in the distraction pins dbrc as a complete rookie and wins the title uh-huh. which was a nice variation on it but again yeah so uh and um yeah I've brad just armstrong found under a mask who defunded right and I, yeah, and I've just found as well that um, there was another yellow dog masked wrestler in a virtually identical costume to uh, the, the the yellow dog that Brian Pillman portrayed. Um, just trying 1984. I'm just trying to find the um, the actual oh from from Championship Wrestling from Florida, and it was yeah, portrayed so by Barry Windham. Ah ah, <laughs> that and he had. Yeah, there's a match. There's a match here that he has against Black Bart. Um, so it's all all coming together. Yeah, all, all, yeah, Black Bart, who I've never even heard of before, but apparently he trained JBL. So yeah, he's just one of those sort of journeyman wrestlers, really. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so yeah, good match. This, apart from yeah, the pointlessness of the gimmick. Yeah, I've got in my notes about yeah the ref. Like they have to do a ref distraction for the low blow, but it, clearly it's no DQ apparently. So, which they mentioned in the commentary right at the beginning. Yeah, but then there's a few matches where they sort of don't really follow what the match actually is. But we'll, we'll get, get to that later. We'll get to that uh, later. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, and then the point, obviously, the point of the tape fist is to punch your opponent in the head loads, which they don't do a lot. And even to the point where Pillman does get bust open, but by the ring post. Mm. And then Giggs 
blatant blades blatantly on camera as well. Yeah, yeah the uh, I think the the wind and bleeding is meant to have been from that top rope. Yeah, from the punch. Yeah, yeah, there is that yeah. one. And but then the only punches from Wyndham seem to come after the match, which I did like. Low blow, superplex, pin him, and then I'll start punching him. Really rub it in. Ah, uh, but yeah, and, and I mean this, and, and I think this is a theme that we'll get in a, a few other matches as well. But surely they could have knocked knocked some of the other matches that have been earlier on off and and give these guys an extra sort of five minutes or so. Yeah, but no, it's a pay-per-view, so you need 12 matches and, what, three interview segments and four backstage segments? and But yeah, yeah. 12 matches. 12 Jeez. matches. Yeah. What is it, one PW? <laughs> hey, at least it finished on time. Uh, Liam, yeah. your thoughts on the Tate Fist match? Oh, was it just me, or was this hideously one-sided for a proper feud match? Mm. Like, mm. Pillman got a spanking here. Yeah, and he much. really Especially wasn't like taken seriously finish. much, was he? No. It's a shame. Yeah. And then loses the uh, the follow-up match, yeah. Yeah. Beating Pillar to Post as the plucky underdog at, um, at WrestleWar, then goes through this, has to be subjected to a fair amount more, if I remember correctly, then finally got a little bit of a of a push with the light heavyweight thing and taking it a bit seriously. And then Bill Watts comes in and, and um, brings that all down. Are you, uh, are you sure this wasn't being booked by WWE? It's like yeah, that's a disdain for someone who's not say. six foot tall is like uncanny. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it was, it was good and intense, but uh, yeah, I think you spot on that. It was very, very one-sided. Yeah. And yet not a squash at all. It didn't no. come like a squash. It was, yeah, like you said, thinking about it, yeah, it was very one-sided, but at the same time, yeah, he showed a lot of fire and stuff. And those chops. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, we then got the ramped Diamond Dallas Page. He's back again with his Diamond Mind talk show. And this is on, again, on pay-per-view. Um, he then introduces a video package interview with uh, Sting and Luger talking about their upcoming match with their friends, the Steiners, um, which is a, a bit of a strange place to put that segment in. But he then introduces his newest client, the Diamond Stud, a.k.a. Scott Hall, um, with a, a kiss curl and a toothpick. There's certainly elements of Razor Ramon to it without the uh, accent, obviously. And and isn't it telling that on this show, both Hall and Nash have debuted new characters in WCW that didn't get over at all, and they had to go to the WWF, be packaged correctly as Razor Ramon and Diesel to get over massively there before they could return to WCW as, as stars. And, you know, I'll start with you, Barry, and come to you, Liam. But, yeah, what what is it about WCW at this time where they they can't create stars, whereas WWE, WWF can? Well, to be fair, WCW pretty much could never create stars. Apart from Goldberg, I mean, probably. Goldberg and DDP, but he took about 10 years or five years or whatever to go over. Yeah. But yeah. Apart from that, yeah, they just, they never really could create stars. So, I mean, yeah, this is... 
yeah. half of the course, really. Could could you argue Sting was a star created by WCW, Liam? Yeah, he kind of mm. got there in the NWA days, and then he was there, like, oven-ready. Sorry for the poor expression, but he was oven-ready for, for the WCW area, really, wasn't he? So, mm. yeah, I wouldn't even go that far. But, no, for the, for the most part, their whole mentality was, like, how do we do what they're doing? You know, yeah. up north. How how do we take this film, this Wizard of Oz film, and turn that into a great wrestler? They they were they were reactors. They weren't proactive in any way whatsoever, and that was the big problem. But you look at this this era of like the spring summer of '91 because and and I vividly remember this because I remember this is when WCW magazine came out first for the first time, and I remember there was like an article about all these new characters, and you had as we've mentioned, the Diamond Stud and you had Oz and Johnny B. Bad, PN News, um, I think Stunning Steve Austin was another one, although not as no, not a, a character in the, the sense that the others Van were. Hammer. Van Hammer, uh Black Blood, uh, which was Billy yeah. Jack Haynes under a mask, Big Josh that we've mentioned. Um you also had um I think about a year a little while later you had Hercules under a mask as the super invader. Super invader. Uh Arachnaman, I guess. Ken. Yeah, Arachnaman until uh, they got sued. But all all of these all of these characters, these like larger than life WWF style characters, and really the only one that stuck and was any kind of a success was probably Johnny B. Bad. Mm. But yeah, just mm, coincidental, just as Dusty started booking, maybe, possibly, mm. definitely. <laughs> but yeah, this was, I know uh, in Meltzer's review of this show, he said something along the lines of, like, this is where it really turned the corner. And like, if we wanted to see WWF, we'd go to their show. Yeah. So this is when it, they really started to go sort of over the top with the. Uh, more, ho- well, I guess the more hokey characters and everything. Yeah, and, and I really guess, the turning point. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I guess this is like you said, this is trying. I mean, you you touched on this a moment ago, Liam, that this is trying to out WWF the WWF as opposed to becoming a being an alternative product for people who aren't fans of that kind of thing. Yeah, and we we see it throughout history because you know a decade and a half later you've got NWA TNA that really caught a little bit of fire as an, it was never going to catch WWE, especially after WWE was monopolized and gone on the market as well. Like as a, as a, as a public traded company, yeah. um, no one was going to touch him. No one will touch him to a certain extent. They've got a certain juggernaut about them now, but TNA had that cool vibe. They, they had something else with the X Division, Ultimate X, AJ mm. Styles, Samoa Joe. They had such a thing going on. America's Most Wanted. And over the course from their absolute um, peak in that period, a couple of years later, they were doing everything WCW was doing on this show and making the same mistakes WCW made over the course of a decade that we've been lambasting here for 105 episodes. Yeah, uh, and that's always when when people say, "Oh, look, AEW's dropped like a fifty thousand viewers on this episode," or, or or AEW's done a match that wasn't like as good as any given match in Japan or whatever. It's like, no, you got to look at the big picture here. They just keep doing what they're doing. We've got an ecosystem in wrestling. Mm. 
Yeah. And that's all we can ask for, regardless of any wars or whatever. We just want a healthy situation. And that's what we always lament about WCW. They didn't see the forest for the trees and they completely did themselves in. And the only way they ever had any serious success was selling their soul with the yeah. creative control contracts. So yep. because of that short sightedness, it was, it was never going to work. Okay, we will move on to match Sorry number to eight. Sorry you there. I've, <laughs> really, I've really tanked yeah. this jovial podcast, haven't I? <laughs> it's very, very true. It is, mm. yeah, it, um, yeah, it's a very good insight. Thank you. Um, it is time now for the stretcher match between yeah. mm, the Battle of the Giants, Sid Vicious v. Elegante. Um it's not billed as a technical classic. What it is billed as, however, is a stretcher match, whereas Gary Michael <laughs> Capetta explains the loser must leave the ring on a stretcher. I'll just I'll just reiterate that in case you missed it. The loser must leave the ring on a stretcher. Um Elegante brings the stretcher to the ring with him and he even struggles to do that. Um and uh, there's no way he'll fit on that stretcher if he loses anyway, given that the stretch is about six foot long and he's seven foot seven. Um, it's also important to note that this was Sid's last match in WCW before moving on to the WWF, uh, where he debuted as Sid Justice, the special guest referee at SummerSlam 91. So he clearly doesn't give a single solitary fuck about this match. Um, Elegante his technique in selling moves is interesting to say the least um kind of pulling facials that look like he's either shat himself or put his fingers in the plug socket every time he gets hit um sid charges into the corner is met with a big boot and gets pinned with the claw hold in just two minutes 13 seconds and the match then ends because he got pinned in the stretcher match and didn't leave on a stretcher um, and then one man gang and Kevin Sullivan come out and beat up El Gante, hitting him with a stretcher and throwing powder in his eyes. But at least they didn't hit him with a dead monkey, I suppose. Um, what the fuck was this, Barry? <laughs> this was, like you said, Sid not wanting to do the stretcher job. Uh, basically, I think from my research, his his contract didn't run out until September. Right, but they'd kind of agreed to let him out of his contract and go to the WWF. But it's obviously, so he didn't want to do this match, but why even book the match? <laughs> why book this match at all, to be honest? Uh, stretch a match or not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, by sound of it, obviously he wasn't going to turn up, but they were saying, if you don't turn up, we won't let you out your contract early and you'll be screwed. And WWF, I mean, Vince has always been big on like carrying out your commitments and that. Yeah. So they, they were like, no, you need to do this match. Even ignoring the fact that if you don't, you won't be able to come to us. So that, but obviously back in the day doing literally doing the stretcher job, as they said, was a real death to your career. Mm. So he didn't want to do that, but they still called it a stretcher match. And yeah, then just pinned him after two minutes. I mean, they could have just put it, build it as a battle of the giants. and Yeah, exactly. They could have done so much different, but they booked it. So they did it. Yeah. But he turned up, he done it. He, he'd sold a clothesline pretty well. And 
Yeah. I mean, he sold it, it better than Hercules sold his match with Sid on the, if you ever oh, seen yeah. that match. Yeah. Was that I mean, from the UK he did get match, up at, I think? Yeah, he did get up about the same, in about the same speed yeah. after the match, but you just don't see it because one man gang's already come to the ring. Indeed, yes. Oh, yeah. good old Sid. Right. Yeah. Um, Liam, do you want to add anything to that, or should we just move on to the oh, next match? Oh, man. What, what else could I possibly <laughs> <laughs> This was infamous, this fucking match, wasn't it? I was going to say, the one thing I did like was, uh, obviously, Eligante comes out, starts trying to drag the stretch of the ring so it goes behind him and nearly falls off the ramp. He grabs it with his other hand. It does and nearly falls over again. And just without missing a beat, he just picks up the stretch and carries it to the ring. Yeah. So I'll give him that. That was good. Yeah. Do you know what El Gigante selling reminds me of, to go back to that topic? <laughs> it's, uh, when, when, when my daughter, when she was about two or three, she had sour food for the first time. Her facials were very much like El Gigante selling. That or uh, John Claude Van Damme getting powder in the eyes at the end of Bloodsport. <laughs> yeah, oh, and if you don't know that cell, that's basically the cell he does. Yeah, well, of course I've not seen it. <laughs> <sighs> um, it is clearly the best John Claude Van Damme movie. Go and watch it now. Or better. after this. After that, I was going to say, yeah, after this. Um, right, match number nine. It's a steel cage match. It's the Battle of Doom. It's Butch Reed versus Ron Simmons. Um, so the Thunder Doom. The Thunder Doom. Now, do you, when we... Um, it was WrestleMania 91 was the last pay-per-view, wasn't it, Liam? Because that was where they split up. That and was then, the split, yeah. And then literally... Moments after they've split up, they interview a kid that's a competition winner and ask him <laughs> who his favourite wrestlers in WCW are, and he says Doom while looking at the ring, broken hearted. Yeah, he's, you, you he's need that Simpsons meme, don't you? That yes. Simpsons meme where they where they pause it. Look, here's the moment where his heart his explodes. Heart, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, See, never worked with children and animals. WCW have proven that in two successive pay-per-views. Um, so both men come out to their old Doom theme tune. Um, there's a small sort of shark cage that Teddy Long must enter, which will be hanging above the ring to prevent him from interfering. Um, Long even gets his own entrance. Um, Simmons played American football at Florida State University, so gets a good reaction from the crowd here in St. Petersburg. Um, it starts off fast with fists flying. Reed gets thrown into the steel cage, but Simmons charges at him, misses and crashes into the cage himself. Simmons is now bleeding from the forehead. Um, Reed then rams Simmons' forehead into the cage repeatedly. Um, and I've got to say, I don't know what you guys think, but I've got to say, as a veteran of many cage matches, Dusty Rhodes, I think, is actually great on commentary here, um, adding insight of what it's like to be in a cage match. And, and they also mm. mentioned that Reed is a cage match veteran and Simmons yeah. is not. Um, Reed is largely dominating this match. He hits a pile driver on Simmons, only gets a two count. He lands a top rope shoulder block, but Simmons gets his foot on the bottom of the rope to break the count. Um, Reed goes for a splash, but Simmons gets his knees up. Simmons now has a second wind and is on offense till Reed cuts him off with a high knee. Uh, and in fact, Dusty says on commentary each time Simmons goes on the offense, Reed cuts him off. Um, Long throws a steel chain down to Reed. Um, he tries to punch Simmons with it, but Simmons ducks, picks Reed up, and lands a spine buster for a pinfall pretty much out of nowhere. 
in um, in 939. So they gave him a little bit of time, I suppose. Um, what do you think of this one, Barry? Uh, yeah, it's a pretty good cage match. I mean, pretty simple and short in theory, like nearly well, 10 minutes. But for a sort of feud blow-off match, which was one of their first matches anyway, after like two months after splitting up. But yeah, it was pretty good. The Obviously, the cage wasn't enough of a gimmick, so they needed the shark cage as well for yeah. long. And obviously, if you've got a manager up in a cage, they're going to just drop a foreign object into the ring for him. That's what you do. And But then that was completely pointless because it just misses and hits his finish and that was it. But yeah, so apart from the whole pointless Teddy Long thing, uh, I enjoyed it. To me, it, I mean, Ron, Ron Simmons can be, you know, a really intense wrestler when he wants to be. Mm. I, I just especially for a match between two very successful long-term tag partners, it just seemed to me to not quite have that intensity that I was expecting. Yeah, it sort of, it obviously, it seemed like it wasn't really the blow-off. And at the same time, it didn't seem like it was the first match and they were sort of getting all the frustration out. It just seemed like a random, yeah, not much hatred between them, I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I did like the fact they all came out to the same music, though. The same music, yeah, that was... And I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if they cut it each time or if it sort of kicks in again after that little bit, but it sort of perfectly looped around. It, yeah, I think, for each one. Yeah, I think they re, they just yeah replayed it again, but I'm not sure. Yeah. It, yeah, it did it did flow very nicely. Yeah, Liam, what do you think of this one? Yeah, there were two things in particular that tickled me about this match. Number one was when Ted Long makes his own entrance. He comes out pretty pretty confident. You know, nothing's gonna flap him, and then he gets to within within arm's reach of this giant shark cage that he's, he's got to go inside that's been advertised heading into the belt that you know for this match you are going to be hung above the ring in this cage and his son decided oh no I don't want to do this you know, a, good, a good idea would have been maybe to, to refuse to go in the cage like before you've got to the arena but it's the way he's just as if nothing's going to happen to him right until he gets like within, within two I'm feet of the walk cage. Right yeah. up to the cage and then refuse. And, and then nope it when there's like five referees waiting to shovel me in there. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, same going back. I, Simmons just didn't seem that confident, comfortable being a face mm. as well. I think that sort of took away from it as well. Well, they had to do sure. something because, like, everyone's leaving the promotion. They've got yeah. to push someone. And yeah, as we find out at the next pay-per-view, they're going to lose even more big stars. So yeah. uh, they're in a bit of a weird situation, though. So, But the other thing I really liked about this is it's called the Thunder Doom cage match. It's pretty clear that it's a very bog-standard, regular steel cage. The yeah. Thunder Dome they'd use a couple of times. There's a whole thing where it's electrified at the top, so you can't get out. It's a bit more of a elaborate cage. We've seen them use the one with the ringside area and all that. But the thing with yeah, this and is it, that... And the top of it slopes inwards, so you can't, it's, you yeah. can't climb out. And yeah. they've got no interest in, in using any sort of special cage for this. They've probably used up all their budget on yours entrance, to be fair. But um, <laughs> yeah. they just want to use a regular cheap cage. But because the tag team were called Doom... And because the other cage match they've used in the past is called Thunderdome, of course they have to run the pun. So I appreciate pun. that yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely appreciate the pun. Go for it. 
Knock yourselves yeah. out, lads. Um, we then I did see... like the fact that they made a big point of Simmons being Burt Reynolds' favourite wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> and then they mentioned the, uh, Jason Herbie's there again. Uh, no. Jason not? Herbie. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because he's um he's there to watch his girlfriend uh, try and sexually harass the men in the showers. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Oh, saying that, I'm going back to the uh, diamond stud thing, where they where they basically announce, yeah, we want we're going to go from town to town and get hot girls to come into the ring and strip him off, and then take you backstage and not mention anything else. <laughs> but yeah, that was definitely clearly. Yeah, a different time, as you like to yeah. say. Indeed. <laughs> yes, yeah. we then see a uh, video package previewing the next match, which is, you know, for the time, it's unusual. It's faces v faces, friends v friends, a match of, of Sting and Lex Luger v the Steiner brothers. For the, um, and I don't know about you guys, but I to me, the music they used sounded like something you'd hear off a Rocky trading montage, like a... Uh video in the next couple of weeks <laughs> brilliant yeah. um, so look, look out for that i look forward to it so match number 10 is the wcw world tag team titles on the line sting and lex luger take on the champions the steiner brothers um so luger comes out wearing the new design u.s belt um he's the u.s champion obviously it's not on the line here um Interestingly, the tag team belts still say WC, sorry, still, still say NWA and not WCW on them. Um, all four men shake hands, and away we go. We start off with Luger versus Rick. Rick bounces off Luger spectacularly on a simple body check, shoulder tackle. Um, Luger then gets a two count with a power slam. Rick fires back with a German suplex and a Steiner line for a two count of his own. Luger fires back with a clothesline of his own. Um, this one is starting off intensely. Luger press slams Rick, tags in Sting. He clotheslines Rick over the top rope and hits a spectacular running vault over the top rope to the floor. Um, Sting then hoists Rick over his shoulder and rams him upside down into the into the corner, taking the move out of the Steiner's usual playbook. Um, we've seen that happen move before. Poor Takayuki Izuka will probably never forget it. Um, Scott gets tagged in. He immediately hits a double underhook tiger driver, followed by a tilt-a-whirl slam. The crowd are absolutely loving this. Um, Sting catches Scott, drops him throat first over the top rope. Scott recovers, hits a belly-to-belly superplex on Sting. Luger gets tagged in, hits a power slam on Scott. He signals for the torture rack, but Scott counters it with a Russian leg sweep. He makes a blind tag to Rick, who nails Luger from behind with a top rope bulldog for a two count. Rick then, uh, sorry, Sting then hits Rick from behind with a top rope drop kick, and tempers are starting to flare between the friends. Scott goes for a a tombstone pile driver on Sting, but Sting reverses it. Rick makes the save. The referee tries to put Rick back on his tag rope. Luger comes charging in, and both Rick and the ref get knocked out of the ring. Luger and Rick continue to fight at ringside while Sting and Scott are left in the ring. Sting hits a Stinger splash, and we then see Nikita Koloff run down the ramp with his chain wrapped around his arm, just as Luger's on the ramp getting back onto his tag rope. Sting sees uh, Koloff running down, pushes Luger out of the way, and eats the chain-assisted clothesline from Koloff himself. 
Koloff runs to the back, um, and Scott, not really aware of what's happened, makes the cover on Sting for the pinfall in 11 minutes and nine seconds, and Sting has been busted open by the chain shot from Koloff. Um, so all of that action packed into 11 minutes, nine seconds. Um, and it's worth noting that this match won Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Match of the Year Award for 1991. Uh, Barry, how did it rate with you? Pretty good. Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly what other matches were going on that year. Except, oh, I suppose, 91. So I would have said Warrior Savage was probably better than this. Mm. But... Yeah, no, it was definitely a good one. It's a really weird psychology match. Not even counting it as face-face. And obviously the finish really takes away from it. Yeah. But, yeah, no, really great match. Uh, yeah, I mean, starting off the whole power of the uh, wrestling sort of thing and sort of uh, Rick managed to out-wrestle Luger. But the power came back, and the gorilla press was brilliant. On uh, Rick's not exactly a small guy, is he? No. Uh, yeah, and then that the Canadian backbreaker running into the corner thing, which has always looked really nasty. Yeah. And I've only, I've only ever seen it done in person once, and that was Doug Williams on Scarlet. Oh, so yeah, same. doing it on a woman probably isn't going to be quite as painful, is it? Except for uh, she fractured her pubis. Ow. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah, even. Yeah, just not a nice move to take. But yeah, then Scott comes in, proper house of fire, hitting all his greatest hits, and the crowd's going mental for it. And then this is the point I noticed they're doing they're doing not only clean breaks but clean tags. As much as they're holding on to them, tagging in their partner, they're not holding them for any strikes or anything or feeding them into them. They're literally tagging, getting out as the other guy gets in. So really keeping the face face. And then the bit, yeah. the com- yeah, the bit the commentators miss is uh, obviously uh, Rick gets a blind tag in and hits the bulldog. But Sting, as he said other, doesn't see the tag, so thinks Rick's just coming and cheated. So that's why he hits a drop kick off the top. Ah, right. Because then he says after there was no tag. And then obviously that's when it all starts breaking down. Then the tombstones happen and obviously Rick has to come in and make the save for that. And that's when Luger comes in, which is a great ref bump. I really like that ref bump with just uh, steam rolling over him. And yeah, then the finish happens and it just sort of takes away from it. Yeah, because that ref bump feels a lot more realistic yeah. than, than the usual thing where the ref just happens to be in a completely wrong place that he'd never stand in or, or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, yeah, so that was a yeah, nice one. And it didn't it didn't seem it didn't feel at all like a getting all your shit in kind of match because you know, they're hitting lots of big moves one after yeah. the other. But it it, it just and, and also the crowd I loving it because sometimes mm. with a, a face-face match, you yeah, you, know, you the crowd are split and don't know who to cheer. But yeah. I remember at the time just the fact that these two teams are fighting each other. It was like, well, this doesn't normally happen. Why? Well, you know, a bit. I suppose a bit like Hogan Warrior in a way, where there's yeah. that buzz that you've got two people who aren't supposed to face each other because that isn't how it works, you know. Yeah, exactly. Liam, um, your thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, I'm wondering to myself, is this the best tag team match of all time to not use traditional tag, hot tag formula? Mm. There's not too many uh, other matches that go against the typical grain like this, that are this good. And for all the other reasons that you, you guys already mentioned, I won't repeat them, but yeah, they're all valid. And just the fact they don't use tag formula because... Presumably because there's a face versus face thing, and they've just managed to make it work by just going going at each other and trying to win the damn match. But yeah, this is a very uh, considering the personnel involved. You've got four of those people that are right up at the top of when you think of this early nineties. Though, so and we we conveniently leave out all the crap from our memories and we just think of the good part. Yeah. You think you think of these four, you think of Big Van Vader, you think of the Hollywood blondes and you know, those, those latter three would come a little bit later, but these four are right there. Yeah. They're like the, the pillars of this era going at it in a great, great tag match. I love it. Yeah. And what about the finish? I mean it's it, presumably it's to it's to protect all the baby faces and to to develop a new storyline, but yeah, yeah they how, want to transfer how... it, don't they? They want to transfer yeah. the Luger thing onto Sting with Koloff, because as we find out, they do finally have a plan for Luger with Flair, even though they've kind of like they they've they've done it non-stop in like what 87, 88, 90, and every time he blew it and he developed a choke artist tag. And as it turned out, he wouldn't even get to win the big one over Flair this time either. But that was their plan, and that's why Sting so, was going to so step what's in. The, yeah, what's the plan then that Luger would turn heel and win the belt from from Flair? I don't uh, think the so. Great American Bash. I don't think a heel turn was on the horizon until necessity got in the way. Or did they just turn him heel because Flair had gone? And that, yeah, the top I'd bit. have to double check, but I'm pretty sure the heel turn was like, oh fuck, we better, um, we better. No, it was a weird double turn as well, wasn't it? Because obviously uh, Wyndham was heel at the time, mm. and then Luger managed to turn heel on him. Mm. So. It wasn't really by necessity. It's not like they needed a hill in the match. Yeah, they just flipped. But, yeah. Flipped, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so backstage, Tony Schiavone catches Nikita Koloff returning from the ring, um, where he says Sting was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and then Schiavone has this classic look of alarm and panic on his face as Sting comes from the ring off camera, runs into Koloff and attacks him. Um, they brawl out into the car park before uh, Koloff decides to bugger off for his own safety, basically. Because there's um, a chair outside, obviously. Because there's a chair outside, yes. Um, those pesky chairs, they get everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to match number 11. Yep, 11. Before we do, yep. I will say... You have to remember this is 1991, so at this point in time in WCW, we knew the deal with Sting and Luger. We did. Yeah, we actually knew what the deal was, and they were just friends. They were on the same page. They ran yeah. a gym together in Atlanta. Yeah, it was all good. Yeah, all good. And and as they have proven with the clean tags. Um, thank Sorry, you for. No, no, thank you for making a, a very valid point there. Yeah. Um, so match number 11 is for the world television title, and it's Bobby Eaton challenging the world TV champion Arm Anderson. And this uh, 
is Eaton's first singles wrestler title, first title opportunity as a, a singles wrestler in WCW. Obviously, he's enjoyed tremendous success in the tag division as half of the Midnight Express. Um, Jim Ross says he thinks Arn Anson's the greatest television champion of all time. Dusty Rhodes then says the exact same thing, almost word for word. Um, given the pedigree of both men and the fact they're good friends in real life too, this should be excellent. Um, Eaton drops Anson with his big right hand within the opening few seconds. He goes up top. He's intercepted by Anderson. He throws Eaton face first onto the ramp, sort of like a rocket launcher, but without anyone to land on. Um, Anderson then goes for a pile driver on the ramp, but Eaton backdrops him instead. Eaton goes back up top, lands an axe handle. Um, later on, Eaton, uh, Anson rams Eaton's knee into the ring post to slow him down, take away his aerial offense. Eaton's hopping on one leg, but still firing right hands at Anderson. Um, it's all happening at quite a slow pace, but it's classic wrestling storytelling. Um, Anson hits his spine buster, but only gets a two count. Uh, Anson then goes to the middle rope for an axe handle, but Eaton intercepts him with a punch to the midsection, followed by his classic swinging neck breaker. He slams Anderson, hobbles up to the top rope, just as he's about to land a move. A bandaged up Barry Windham comes down the ramp, but before Windham can do anything, a similarly bandaged up Brian Pillman comes out to intercept him. Um, Eaton then hits that amazing Alabama Jam top rope leg drop for the three count to become the new WCW World Television Champion in uh, 11 minutes and 50 seconds. So um, what were your thoughts on our our semi-final, our semi-main event, Barry? Uh, Brilliant. Probably, well, maybe not the match of the card after the tag match, but certainly up there. Uh. Yeah, obviously it's a shame that uh, Eaton's music gets dubbed over. Yeah. On the well, yeah, because as it started, uh, because they sort of don't fully mute it and they turn it down a lot. I thought it was um, when you had Dave Penzer on. And he was saying about the mic, the ringing out to mic was only for in house. They didn't have it linked up to the truck and that. Yeah. I thought that's what was going on because oh, that sounds awful. And then I realised it was just they're dubbing over the good music. Uh, I did love how uh, Dusty was referring to uh, Eaton as a rookie, <laughs> just as a, but basically as a singles rookie. Is yeah. He's, putting it. he's, he's been he's been a tag wrestler for all this time, but now he's just he's just starting off as a singles wrestler, and he's basically a sing- rookie when it comes to singles. So that was great. And then he goes and ruins it by uh, referring to the rocket launcher onto the uh, out onto the uh, rampway as a bump. But oh, okay, we're 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 using that terminology now, are we? Uh, but yeah, other than that, yeah, all great. Anderson selling the shit out of the uh, right hand the entire yeah. match. Yeah, and, and what I loved about that was that you know right at the beginning of the match. Jim Ross, yeah, literally men- the first. Yeah, yeah, mentions it and bang straight away it happens. Yeah, yeah, but then you have to watch out for Anderson's left hand and his DDT. Yeah, which is exactly what you have to watch out for uh, Michael Hayes' his left hand and his DDT. Very true. Although I don't know how good uh, Arn Anderson is at moonwalking. No, or how good uh, Michael Hayes is at spinebustering. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and then. Uh, 
uh, Eaton's cell, when he goes for a suplex on Arnie, his knee gives out and he sort of collapses sideways with it. Mm. That That's a brilliant little touch. I really like that. Because uh, he still hits a move, but sort of only half-heartedly and sort of sells it more than Arn does and Arn gets straight back on top of him. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it almost looks like a botch, but it's a controlled, oh, I'm injured sort of botch. So yeah. A worked botch, if you will. Yes. That is yeah. really nice. And then, yeah, going back to what I was saying about Arn doing the stupid axe handle when they're laying on the floor. Yeah. He almost does it, but he does it with a Vader bomb onto the knees. So it kind of works. And then follows it up with his patented uh, axe handle off the middle rope, shot in the gut, flip bump. Flip bump, yeah. Which I well, love. I, I seem to remember with the Vader bomb, he, he doesn't he spin Bobby Eaton 180 degrees? which doesn't seem to make any difference because of the way he lands anyway, but it's a bit Possibly. of a long I know, I know for the actual finish, uh, Bobby hits the spinning neck breaker, but they have to pick him up and slam him because he's a yeah. long way around for his leg drop. Yeah. But yeah, the finish is great because it's sort of a five-part pop that keeps building because uh, he goes up for the jam and the crowd come up. Then Wyndham comes out and the crowd come up a bit more. Then Pillman cuts him up. The proud crowd goes really up. Hits the Alabama jam. Crowd goes up even more. One, two, three. Crowd goes mental. Oh, yeah. It's a great finish with the sort of the building pop at the end. And I really like that. Yeah, because they, they're expecting disappointment and then it doesn't yeah. happen. They actually get what they're after. Yeah. yeah you're expecting the screw job, especially in a title match like this. And oh, a clean finish. Wow. Yeah, especially given the history of the horsemen. You, yeah, exactly. Who, who will do anything to keep their belts. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Liam, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a good match. Uh, it, it seemed to be in first gear for for quite a while. But yeah, the the, the finish got them where they want to be. Normally you see with a lot of matches, it, it builds up to a steadier degree. But they spent a long time being methodical, being old school. And then you got the finish in, so fair enough. But it's funny to think that... Bobby Eaton's big singles moment. It was only a couple of weeks, wasn't it? And he was dethroned by uh, a debutant called Stunning Steve Austin. Steve Austin, yeah. Yeah. But he was well, all, yeah. He'd already knew about uh, his match coming up with Flair for this, before this. So he'd been training hard for his Flair match. And then this was, I don't know if this was a little bit of a reward building up to it or this was always planned, but. Because you covered that, didn't you, recently? We did, yeah, Clash 15, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I know we always said Bobby Eaton was never like a body guy, but he does look in tremendous shape for this yeah, match. Yeah, he's really slimmed down for his flare match. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Cool, okay. Um, so, we're about to get ready for the main event. Um, Tony Schiavone's backstage. He catches a word with the Japanese contingent, Hiro Matsuda, who uh, always appears to be on these things because he's fluent in English and Japanese, um, says that they're going to bring the belt back to Japan. So, let's explain things here. This is one of the most WCW things ever. Are you sitting comfortably? So, when WCW and New Japan had their super show in the Tokyo Dome a few months before, or as it was called in Japan, Starcade in Tokyo Dome, the main event was Ric Flair v. Tatsumi Fujinami. And in that venue, Fujinami won the match by pinning Ric Flair. Um, in the US, the match was presented as a WCW title defense, which Flair won retrospectively by disqualification because Fujinami had thrown him over the top rope prior to pinning him. In Japan, 
it was presented as a defense of both the NWA world title and the WCW world title because they regarded those two things as two separate championships, both of which were held by Ric Flair. So in Japan, Fujinami had become the NWA world champion in the Tokyo Dome, and this match was to reunify the NWA and WCW titles in Japan, but was just a regular world title defense for flair in america as the two titles were represented by the one physical belt which of course was the big gold belt that flair took with him to the wwf a few months later and caused chaos so this is for the nwa and wcw world titles but it's just billed on this show as for the wcw world title between tatsumi fujinami and rick flair and unless it's a network edit flair doesn't come out to his usual music fujinami does not have a title belt around his waist uh tiger hattori from new japan is the referee in the ring and bill alfonso is at ringside as a sub ref if needed so um, Flair lands some of his trademark chops. Fujinami la- locks Flair in a bow and arrow hold, then also puts him in a Boston Crab and an Indian Deathlock to put across his mastery of submission holds. Um, the crowd seems to be very quiet here, pre- presumably because they don't really know who Fujinami is. Maybe also because Flair's usually the heel, but as the American, they are, they're being prompted to cheer him here. Um, Fujinami knocks Flair to the floor. Flair then drops Fujinami groin first over the guardrail at ringside. Uh, back in the ring, Flair clamps on the figure four leg lock and the crowd come alive for the first time in the match. Fujinami escapes and locks on the scorpion death lock as invented by his fellow countryman, Ricky Choshu. Um, Fujinami gets a two count with a side suplex. Flair throws Fujinami to the floor again, goes to throw Fujinami into the guardrail, but gets reversed. Flair hits the steel face first and now he is bleeding from the forehead. Yep, it's another match with blood. Um... Flair is now in trouble. They're back in the ring. Fujinami slams Flair off the top rope before locking in the octopus hold in the center of the ring, attempting the submission win, but Flair escapes the hold after about 10 seconds or so. Both men then collide on a body t- uh, shoulder tackle. Um, Flair falls out of the ring onto the ramp. Fujinami falls to the floor. Uh, Flair picks him up for a slam but buckles under the weight. Fujinami gets a very close two count. You can hear the crowd audibly gasp at. He gets another two count with a small package. A rolling prawn hold gets a two count as Flair kicks out. And he in, in, As Flair kicks him out, he inadvertently kicks Fujinami into the referee Tiger Hattori. Flair then rolls Fujinami up with a handful of tights as Bill Alfonso enters the ring to make the three count to retain stroke regain the world title, depending on your perspective, in 18 minutes, 39 seconds. So a bit of an out of nowhere finish, but um, we have now got one champion for both the NWA and WCW for the time being, at least. Barry, what was your take on the main event? Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean... This is from watching this when I was younger. This, along with uh, Liger at uh, Starcade as well, got me interested in all the funkier submission moves. Obviously, we had the uh, bow and arrow in this, the octopus, the uh, Indian Deathlock, all the fun stuff. Uh, so yeah, that, this is what really turned me on to sort of the funky submission moves. Uh, okay. Match. And then, uh, not that I've really done much, but uh, I still like them. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, no, it was a pretty, yeah, like I say, it was a weird one because obviously Flair is the ultimate heel. And you got that, uh, sort of that idea with some of the crowd with uh, signs with all the Japanese writing and che- cheering for Fujinami and that, just because of how much they hate Flair, I guess, rather mm-hmm. than going for the usual USA versus foreigners gimmick. But, uh, yeah, pretty good match. I mean, there's a couple of botches to sort of break down the communications in it. Uh, there's a nice bit uh, just before the bow and arrow where Flair's just ran on all fours and tries to feed his leg to him and Fujinari completely ignores him and picks him up. Um, but, yeah, and uh, this is the one, I've seen him do it a few times, but this is the worst one, where he's going up top to be thrown off the old, uh, oh, old yeah. Flair, uh, the uh, throw off the top, where Fujinami goes to fully do it one-handed, and Flair has to reach down and grab Rabbit. his other hand and try and hold it on his chest. Yeah, but, I yeah, saw that. yeah. That and after he missed the uh, flip in the corner as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so a few things don't really gel and. Just flair with the short hair just looks weird. Yeah, it wasn't his best haircut, was it? Definitely. No. Because wasn't that where Jim Hurd wanted him to cut his hair short and change and call himself Spartacus? Or yeah, it was, well, that the Spartacus thing was, I think, another uh, Turner Classic Movies tie-in idea. Oh, right. But that was more of just a throwaway. Her, let's get him to do that. And I don't think they even asked him to do it. But yeah, they made him cut his hair, and he wasn't happy about that. Uh, yeah, there was one thing they mentioned earlier, uh, sort of in the introduction, that there have been two title changes in this venue in the history of WCW. The first one being in 1969. <laughs> Which is, yeah, because WCW, yeah, okay, if you say so. And the other thing you didn't mention that made the whole thing more convoluted, the IWGP title was involved in this whole thing as well. Ah, yes, because was Fujinami the IWGP yeah, Fujinami champ was at the, the time? Yeah, he was the champ at the time. And then I think in the first match, it was meant to be NWA versus IWGP. Then this one was WCW versus NWA all the top. But again, WCW just didn't actually mention half of them. Yeah. And then I was looking, up, I was looking it up on Wikipedia, and it got even more confusing because then the NWA did recognize the title change and then they didn't and then wcw did for a bit and then didn't and then did and then didn't and now wwf doesn't or wwe doesn't recognize that as a title change and it's yeah it's even more convoluted but yeah the match itself yeah it's quite it's a slow burn the fujinami sells the hell out of flair's chops which is a nice change because as much as he doesn't people don't seem to sell him that much Uh, and this is the other one uh, Ross mentions about the Dragon Sleeper and the Dragon Suplex and they really took my imagination back then and I didn't see him for probably another 10 years and know what yeah. they were yeah because he doesn't hit either of them does he? no it doesn't hit or even go for either of them I think yeah. he he puts the Dragon Sleeper on when he because he came back for WrestleWar 92 it's him and oh, yeah, of Izuka, he does, yeah. Izuka against the Steiners and I think he Briefly puts the dragon sleeper on one of the Steiners, then yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Liam, what were your thoughts on our main event? 
Yeah, so first off, the, the entrance music of Ric Flair wasn't a dub over. That was very much what they had him come out to, because as you said about the haircut and other crap, they are very much actively trying to strip away the essence of Ric Flair. Rumour has it is they banned all flight attendants from the arena as well, just to really stop <laughs> him from being in his element. Um, can I say that yet? Yeah, too mm. soon. Too soon, I think. Allegedly. Allegedly. No, as far as, far as criminal bad. charges go, not soon enough. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was that that was the the old incarnation of the Four Horsemen theme that they all came out to for the War Games match at the previous pay-per-view. They'd used a few times from their 1990 reformation onwards. It's it's all right. It's nothing like the what became the Arn Anderson theme. Mm. Uh, which was also temporarily a bit of a horseman theme as well uh, around the Nitro Watch Along era. And um, obviously they, they had a real good go of it when, when they reformed in 98. They had that proper, you know, the one with a proper galloping sound effects. Yes. That's a good theme as well after mm. a few goes. Uh, it's a pretty mediocre, in the, in the chart of all-time horseman themes, it's a mediocre one. But they had him come out to it because why, why have him stand out as the star that he is uh and yeah there's there's not really much wrong with a belt per se but i've got to say i just couldn't bring myself to give a fuck about this match <laughs> and it's not a good sign if you're saying oh well it's technically good it's technically sound it's it's what a proper match should be it's just really basically what triple h big matches became famous for being and it, it weren't exclusive to Triple H. I'm a single with Matt, but he just he he did this more than anyone else. But there was definitely some other uh, guilty parties that would have these matches. That are big, they are epic. They they got the star power, they've got the prestige, and there's nothing wrong with the match. And yet no one gives a shit. Yeah. This was I say, especially after following the last two matches as well. Yeah, it didn't help. Yeah, and it, I think it just goes back to the the seeming curse of. New Japan wrestlers on WCW pay-per-views. Because I think the only, with the, with the exception of Jushin Liger and maybe an Ultimo Dragon, they just don't, that, that was obviously, Dragon was, was years later, they just didn't seem to ever get over properly. I think the issue, yeah, and I think the issue, like you've said before, is most of the time they were sort of flown over the night before mm. and were still seem to be jet-lagged and not into it, whereas Liger was over for at least a few weeks if not months yeah and yeah that probably helped him but yeah just it just didn't seem to click did it with the no. crowd with each other so much yeah no definitely so so overall this i mean we've we've seen we've seen some excellent matches and we've seen some absolute dross as well we've really we've really had the extremes of both ends of, of the spectrum but how how would you uh, would you rate this show overall, Barry? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, I guess thumbs up, really. Cause, I mean, there was only probably four of the twelve matches which were actually good. But uh, yeah, overall, especially with the last, I mean, the last three were all pretty damn good. And it drugged out the, especially as I'm still used to the VHS where most of the dross was cut out. Yeah. So that helps, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say thumbs up overall. I mean, it was nothing... Overall, it wasn't a spectacular event, and they just seemed to shove too much in and have to cut everything yeah. really short. But, I mean, just for the 
just for the Steiners, Sting and Luger and uh, Eaton Arn. That's almost enough in itself. Yeah. And the opener was good. Uh, I liked... Uh, it was old oh, Pillman and Wyndham. That was pretty mm-hmm. good. One-sided as it was. And, I mean, the Oz match was what it was. It's all a spectacle as well, weren't it? So... Well, yeah. certainly, certainly not, not something we'll forget in a hurry, the old school. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but yeah, was, overall, yeah. Yeah. Enjoy Excellent. And Liam, what about you? Yeah, no, in this age, I'm afraid, where you can pretty much, like, single out certain matches and things like that, this show as, a, as an entire thing really doesn't hold up, does it? There's a lot of dross to get through. And I think most people in their right minds will just track down the Steiners tag match. <laughs> yeah. And and the Oz match, come on now. Well, yeah. apart from the guys at that monkey sanctuary, but welcome yeah. to Oz. Welcome to Oz. Welcome to Oz. But okay. yeah, I think I mean I I liked watching it as a as a whole because that's yeah that's how it was presented at the time and you'd have to sit through some of the shit to get to the get to the gold. But but hey, no, it's I I I'd say overall it is a it's a thumbs up. I think the the good outweighed the bad, and the, some of the bad was terrific, terrifically entertaining as well. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to Because WCW. Marvelous. Right, well, thank you very much for uh, for that, Barry. Thank you for joining us. Now, before before we let you go, if people want to get hold of you, on uh, find you on socials and things like that, where can they get you? Uh, just Voodoo Wrestler on uh, Instagram or uh, Facebook. That's about it at the moment. Cool. Still, and, there will be a website at some point, <laughs> probably. But I think they, I said that last time as well. Probably, yeah. And they can see you uh, as a, one of the regulars at WrestleForce Wrestling down in yeah, WrestleForce. I'm now South of the, the, the yeah, the double champion at the moment. So I have to carry around two belts. That's always fun. Oh. Uh, EWW as well on their most shows. I think the net there. Well, by the time this is released, they would have announced their next show for the nineteenth of uh, March next year down in Hastings. Okay. Uh, yeah, 19th of March. Yeah, so they, Liam uh, and I have said we do have to get down to one of them, definitely. Mm, yeah. and they're, I mean, they're doing uh, sort of their smaller venue at the moment, but I mean, they packed that out last time. They had to import in a load of seats, so they still done mm. a good few hundred for that and they had a great setup for it. So same again and yeah, should be good great stuff thank yeah. you very much and and uh, yeah thank you for taking the time and trouble to join us and um if you want to follow us if you don't already follow us on twitter you can find us at because wcw or facebook.com forward slash because wcw if you subscribe to this podcast from wherever you get your podcast from you will get each new episode as soon as it comes out um and yeah, basically, if you uh, if you're on uh, things like Apple, uh, i podcasts, iTunes, whatever, if you uh, can give us a, a a good review, we would be eternally grateful. Um, we'll be back hopefully in a lot less than a month's time um, with another episode. We've got well, we've got other guests lined up. We've got watch alongs to do the, the the list. The joy is never ending, Liam. Yeah, uh, no promises on the not monthly part. It's a, it's well, a wooden age for podcasting. 
Yeah, and 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 it's about time your one of our laptops broke again. Don't you um, do not do that. Don't jinx okay. me. But but hey, we're coming to the end of the year where we uh, we often have our uh, listeners sending questions as well. So we might yeah we, we might do that again, shouldn't we? Yeah, the Christmas tradition, answering your questions with a glass of port or something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. While free sheets, the wind on eggnog, that's non-negotiable. Oh, absolutely right right well we'll leave it there thank you so much for taking the time and trouble to download this podcast as i said you can find the other 104 episodes wherever you get your podcast from usually so until next time on behalf of barry on behalf of liam this is me the twisted genius saying thanks for listening and i'll see you ringside